Welcome to Big Tent Radio on Radio Boise. I'm Jackie Kettler, um, one of your hosts. I'm here with Charlie Hunt, who will be our other co-host today for the show. How are things going, Charlie? Oh, pretty good, Jackie. Uh, I was unfortunately sick most of this week, which is not ideal considering it is our first week uh, teaching of the semester. Uh, but that's okay. I'm, I'm recovering nicely thanks to healthy dose of antibiotics. Good. I'm glad. Yeah, it's not a great time to um, kind of fall fall ill. But yeah, we're semester's back up and, and running. So we are back in the classroom. Um, I think uh, be a nice busy semester, but a good one. Absolutely. So Charlie, uh, you know, there is we are getting close to the first caucus with well, the Iowa caucus on February 3rd. That's right. So, so kind of what's going on in the primary right now? Oh, quite a bit, actually. Uh, it's been a little while since we checked in, uh, but uh, a lot of activity, uh, you know, uh, some some fluctuations in the polls, though, frankly, compared to, uh, you know, previous primary fights, not a ton of change, even over the past year, year and a half. Um, you know, we've had more or less the same set of uh, front runners, uh, starting, of course, with former Vice President Joe Biden. He's pretty consistently stayed uh, stayed in the lead and is retaining that lead as we get closer to, to Iowa. Um, and that's at the national level, though. I think what the story is going to be going into these last couple weeks is really how close it is between these top four candidates in these first two primary states of Iowa and New Hampshire. And the top four candidates being? Being uh, Vice President Biden, uh, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, Senator Elizabeth Warren, and uh, South Bend, Indiana Mayor uh, Pete Buttigieg, who I think to the surprise of many has, has hung on to a lot of his support, thanks to uh, you know, on the part of all of these top four candidates, really an incredible amount of fundraising. Well, and he seems pretty, I mean, like he seems to have a good base in Iowa, if I'm not mistaken. Is that helping him kind of nationally keep active that Iowa base? Big time. So there are, you know, for, for Mayor Pete, as he is uh, affectionately known, perhaps, uh, you know, he's had a lot of difficulty picking up the support of certain sub-constituencies, especially uh, African-American voters. But what Mayor Pete has done is run what you know experts have tended to say is a pretty disciplined campaign, particularly in Iowa and also in New Hampshire. He's led in a few polls in Iowa, um, and he has, he has a, a pretty advanced campaign operation, particularly for a political newcomer. And so I think that's uh, really, really helping his campaign there. And what we know is that uh, part of the reason there's so much focus on Iowa and New Hampshire, besides the fact that they're first, and that's exciting, is that, you know, it's very rare for a candidate to do really well in Iowa and New Hampshire and then, you know, fail elsewhere down the road. It really sets you up for the rest of the primary cycle, even though these are just two you know, not particularly diverse states with not particularly large populations. Yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, President Obama, his success in Iowa really kind of sparked and, um, you know, made it possible that he could actually be competitive, right? And that I think he had turned and made a lot of people realize like, oh, he can actually win. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in, in 2008, you know, Hillary Clinton, uh, then Senator Hillary Clinton was 
was well ahead in the polls by, you know, 10, 20, 30 points, pretty much for the entirety of the campaign up to that point. And, you know, uh, Senator Obama, then Senator Obama, peaked at just the right time and ended up pulling out kind of a surprise victory in Iowa. And, and uh, you know, even though we know that that ended up being a pretty drawn out primary, um, it really uh, injected some, not not just some spirit into the campaign and new newfound support, but also, frankly, quite a bit of fundraising and a lot of and a lot of money that helps you compete in the 49 other states that follow, especially much bigger states like Texas and California that, uh, needless to say, require a lot more money than much smaller states like New Hampshire, both in terms of advertisements and what we would call sort of ground game, you know, volunteers on the ground. Right. Yeah. That money can be used to create those infrastructures, open up offices, get mm-hmm. people on staff that can recruit volunteers, get that, you know, motor get out the vote, mobilization efforts, all of those are important for turning out people both in the primary election, but also the general election to be successful. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as inevitably, we haven't even started the primaries yet, technically. But one thing, you know, we've been talking about that we've noticed is the really tight focus on this question of electability. You mentioned the general election. Interestingly, you know, we think about primaries as being about things like uh, candidate ideology or extremism or, you know, who who fits my values the best? Who do I agree with most on policy? Who do I want to represent the Democratic Party? But instead, we're seeing, frankly, a lot of voters focusing on this question of electability. Uh, you know, why do you think some of the reasons are that this might be that voters are really maybe setting aside candidates they would actually really like to be president in favor of ones they just think will be getting elected? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think, I mean, we've talked before, Charlie, about how, you know, I think Democrats really want to win the general yeah. election. They really want to defeat, see their candidate defeat President Trump. So for some vote primary voters, they seem to be looking at, you know, who do we think could be successful in November? Who could be Trump? But there's some really interesting discussions about what is electability. And some of these actually veer into um, sexism and gender issues and that there's some concern that electability is defined in a way where women may be considered less electable, which may be which may harm women um, presidential candidates. Yeah. And I mean, you know, anyone who's been paying some attention and particularly anyone who watched the Democratic debate the other night uh, saw this play out in real time. Uh, You know, I'm referencing this recent dispute between uh, Senator Bernie Sanders and Senator uh, Elizabeth Warren, two of the top contenders for the nomination. Also, you know, both pretty much in lockstep on policy. They're they're pretty widely viewed as the two most progressive candidates and in the race. quite friendly. Absolutely. And- kind of surprisingly friendly, considering they can tend to occupy kind of a similar lane in the Democratic primary, but kind of playing tag team against these more moderate candidates they're running against. But, uh, you know, there's, there's been this recent dispute over a conversation, a private conversation they supposedly had uh, in 2018 about the, the nomination and who they thought could win. Uh, and according to Warren, uh, Sanders had uh, told her that he did not believe a, that they shouldn't nominate a woman because he didn't believe a woman could beat President Trump in a general election. And, you know, 
Not surprisingly, Warren took issue with that and disagreed. Uh, and this conversation became public in recent days. And so they had that dispute kind of out on public display on the debate stage the other night. Yeah. And that's not like Sanders would not be alone if that was kind of sure. what he shared in in a perspective that others have and are concerned about. And I think it's so when voters are thinking about electability whether they may like warren but then vote for another candidate that they think is electable electable absolutely and um i saw some recent research presented last week that found in a in a survey that candidate that citizens ranked biden much higher on uh, you know whether or not they think he can win whether he's electable but on things like favorability of policy or favorability of the candidate they ranked warren much higher and so it is something that could potentially harm warren yeah and i think you see similar trends in terms of uh in terms of race as well you see you know uh you know biden has really consolidated a lot of support in the african-american community and you know a, a a lot of the sort of advanced research i've read about this sort of indicates that it's not necessarily because black voters are really in lockstep with biden on policy or that it's just so simple as oh well you know they associate him with barack obama uh, it's because they really want to beat President Trump. And for better or for worse, the conventional wisdom is that Biden is in the best position to do so. But in the end, I think it's so diff- Electability is really only a question that can be answered, you know, after the fact, if ever. And so it's, it, it's, it's hard and I think in some ways unfortunate that the race has become about this rather than just choosing the candidate you think is best for the country. Right. And everyone's perceptions of what or who is electable and what that means is going to be different. And so and that's where we can get concerned at some of these biases creeping in or things on whether or not we think someone is 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 electable. It may also become where we almost, you know, make it hard for women to compete seriously in primary elections in the president for presidency if we don't view them as electable and then people won't support them for that reason or um, other minority um, groups, which, you know, these are important coalition groups in the right. Democratic Party, which raises has raised some questions about, you know, how Democrat, how the Demo- who is the Democratic Party supporting? Yeah. And I, and I think Democrats, a lot of Democrats are frankly just sort of scarred from 2016 and maybe are kind of overcorrecting in the wrong direction by thinking, oh, you know, no woman could ever beat Trump. And it's in, in some ways, you might think, well, maybe maybe a strong female candidate could be in the best position to defeat Trump. We really just don't know. And right. So, yeah. Yeah. And so it's, and it's so hard, you know, to determine things like electability, especially months out from exactly. an election. Well, we're going to take a quick break here on Big Tent Radio, and we will be right back. All right, we're back on the Big Tent Radio at Radio Boise. I'm Jackie Kettler here with my co-host Charlie Hunt, both of us at the School of Public Service at Boise State University. And this segment, we're going to talk. Um, we're going to 
um, replicate what Jen, what Jen and Luke did last week with cheers, jeers, and beers. And we're going to start with cheers, um, one of which Charlie mentioned at the top of the show that we're now, our spring semester has started. We're back um, in classes, um, back, and it's just always fun. Like It's a stressful week, but it's so nice to see students back and getting into the swing of things again. So I just, I you know, I think we, all of us enjoy teaching quite a bit. And so for, it's always exciting to get that semester started. Yeah, we, we do love teaching. It's a big part of why we do what we do. And I, I love getting, you know, a fresh crop of students every uh, every semester. It's hard to believe that there are so many out there who, who want to learn what we have to say, but, but there they are. Uh, and, you know, you get to, you know, I usually, a, a lot of professors, teachers do this, sort of start out classes by sort of you know, just sort of talking to the students, maybe getting to know, you know, what year are they, what are their majors, and it's, and, you know, what, what kinds of things about American politics are they interested in, what confuses them. These are the things I'm always interested to hear since, you know, a lot of these questions have changed so much since, you know, back in, back in the days, Jackie, since you and I were in college. So, <laughs> Um, I, I totally agree. It's always a joy to get to talk to these to these new students. We've also we've had um, some snow earlier this week, and you know they worked hard to make sure campus was clean and, and and safe for all of us to be there, which is also something that I very much appreciate. Yes, and if 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 my dog were here, he would be he would send a cheers to the snow because he is absolutely obsessed with the snow, rolling in it, eating in it, eating it. Etc. So he's he's in big support of that. So he can be an unofficial co-host today. Yeah. See, our dog doesn't love snow so much. He's like he's always on his tippy toes, like trying to not put his paws in it. Oh, poor hunter. <laughs> so what are, what are some other cheers that you have, Charlie? I've I've got a I've got a couple. Uh, uh, one of them is a is a book I am in the middle of reading right now. Uh, it is a it's a. I think it just came out last year. It's a biography of Frederick Douglass. Uh, it's called Frederick Douglass, uh, uh, Prophet of Freedom by David Blight. And you know, Frederick Douglass is someone who you know I've you know we've we've known about and and thankfully you know learned about in in high school and college. And but a lot of details about his life I didn't uh, you know I didn't previously know. He's a very he was a very complicated person, but was you know this you know, savant, basically. He was very, obviously, incredibly accomplished, uh, you know, given given the color of his skin at a time where we were in the midst of civil war, the complicated relationship with Abraham Lincoln. And it's a, just a really well-written book. It's an honest book about, um, you know, his successes in the face of, obviously, you know, extreme, you know, tragedy and racism, as well as some of his uh, flaws and his views on on gender and things like that. And I always love a good biography like that that really gets into a lot of the complications of really important figures in American history. And I think Frederick Douglass is someone who thankfully is getting sort of a, a, a sort of renewed round of, a, of attention as we pay more attention to so, you know some of the unsung heroes of American history, and so uh, that's that's what I'm reading, and it's a really excellent book, so I recommend it. Yeah, Frederick Douglass, I think, is interesting in his role um, in, at Seneca, Seneca Falls Convention mm-hmm. for pushing um, the the people, especially women present, to sure. put um, to really focus on trying to get the right to vote mm-hmm. um, and making that a major goal from to come from the convention, which I think is just interesting because he's not even someone that you know you you identify. 
as part of that movement. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people think about Douglas in terms of his relationship with Lincoln, which obviously was a very important uh, part of his and of Lincoln's life. But Douglas lived for, you know, 30 plus more years after uh, after uh, Lincoln died. I mean, Douglas lived to see the first automobiles and, uh, and and he led a very long and interesting life. And I think that's one place where this book, I think, does a really good job mm-hmm. at looking at it and, and taking an in-depth look at that part of his life that most people don't know about. And so I think that's that's a big part of it. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. That sounds like like a very quality read. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Uh, what else you got for us, Jackie? Any other any other good cheers? Yeah, so I have one which I a couple weeks ago would not would have surprised me, um, but um, Michael Bloomberg when he entered the the, the primary race, um, you know, was a lot of questions about why and is this necessary? Do we really need him in this race? But last week he announced that he's going to keep his staff pay pay his staff through the general election, which is several hundred people, and so that they will work for whoever wins ultimately wins the Democratic nomination to work for to help the Democratic Party um, beat President Trump in the general election or attempt to beat. President Trump, which I think is really interesting and speaks to the grassroots efforts that Bloomberg has been working on and for for a while now forming local and state organizations to work on policy and and things. But I think that was just it was really kind of an interesting announcement. And so I thought... um, I, I was I was just in, intrigued and, and, and interested in that. Yeah, well, I think it's it's that's a really interesting point because you know especially Bloomberg and uh, Tom Steyer, who was also who was on the debate stage the other night and has actually garnered some pretty interesting and high polling numbers in a couple of early states like South Carolina, and Nevada. Um, you know, Steyer and Bloomberg are both multi-billionaires. They're two of the richest people in the in the country. Um, and, you know, they've received a good deal of grief about, you know, do you really think you're the right person to run for president when we have all these qualified candidates? You have all this money. Why not spend it on a different cause maybe where you can do the most good? Um, you know, a lot of people suggesting, I think you would like this, Jackie, you know, suggesting that they would, you know, spend money on state legislative races, you know, try and make a difference that way where money can go a long way. And so I think this is an interesting move by Bloomberg to sort of acknowledge this and and say, you know, I'm not just in this for a vanity project. I really want to beat this guy. And uh, I'm, I'm going to sort of put my money where my mouth is, even if I do, even if I do lose. So I think that's a really interesting point. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I still have some questions on why he needed to actually run. Well, sure. <laughs> why he needed to be in the race and that he could be supporting grassroots efforts and, and, and at the state and local level without um, right. needing to be connected to a presidential campaign, whether, you know, but I think that it's always promising when you see people actually trying to, you know, invest in a network um, yeah. in politics. Well, and Bloomberg is, keep an eye out, folks, Bloomberg is running a 30-second ad during the Super Bowl. So keep an eye out that. The, the only two candidates, I believe, who are doing that are him and President Trump. So keep an eye out for those in between the game. <laughs> uh all right. On a on a lighter note, uh, I have what I think is the best cheer of them all, which is a story I read on NPR uh, shortly before coming here about wolf puppies. <laughs> uh, that at Stockholm uh, University in Sweden, uh, researchers working with uh, you know endangered wildlife, specifically wolves and wolf puppies, observing their behavior in a controlled setting. Uh, 
observed uh they were the first of their kind to observe that wolf puppies will play fetch with a ball and this was apparently a behavior that had never been observed in wolf puppies before because it had never been tested uh apparently uh researchers had always always assumed that things like fetch and were were specifically dog behaviors that have been bred into dogs over thousands and thousands of years of evolution with dogs you know becoming more intertwined in the lives of humans uh, but you know what they said is that you know these these wolf puppies they're tiny puppies and they're they're fetching a tennis ball and bringing it back and so they think that this indicates that uh, this is not simply a dog trait but rather you know a fine ingrained wolf trait that has actually been passed down uh, through generations and so aside from being an interesting fact they do have video if you search on NPR and it is really cute of a tiny wolf puppy fetching a tennis ball that's fantastic <laughs> I, I will have to look for that article and we should post it um, in our, in yes, our we should. social media the final cheers I'll have is though I love the show The Good Place which I think you do as well Charlie Absolutely. Um, we're in the last few episodes of the series which is sad but also um, it's just such a wonderful enjoyable show so that's been I'm I'm, I'm yes. really thankful that, that we've had that in, um, out in the world the last few years yeah that's a good regular cheers to have week after week Yeah. alright well we're going to take a break We'll be back in a minute. Hey, this is Ms. Fanny from Hot Dog Sandwich, and you are listening to Femme Fatale on Radio Boise, Girls Rock. Welcome back to Big Tent Radio. I'm Jackie Kettler here with my co-host, Charlie Hunt. Um, we just talked about some, you have some cheers to things that um, we're excited about or interested in. Um, so now we're going to move to some jeers, which, you know, maybe some things that we were less enthusiastic yeah. about in the news um how about you, how about you charlie do you have any jeers to give out oh i've got i've got plenty but i'll just keep it to a couple so <laughs> uh you know one one jeers i i have is uh sort of this continual uh scandal in the in major league baseball the sign stealing scandal uh just another in a long uh, line of stories about cheating in professional sports that just uh seems to be snowballing and getting bigger and bigger uh just today, uh, Carlos Beltran, the newly hired uh, manager of the New York Mets, uh, was fired before he even got to start his job uh, because of his his role in uh, in in the the scandal over at I hate to bring them up, uh, Jackie, the the Houston Astros. <laughs> uh, after the Astros manager AJ Hinch was also fired, uh, but there's plenty of blame to go around because I, a lifelong Red Sox fan, uh, you know, faced some of this as well. Alex Cora, the Red Sox manager, was also fired for. <laughs> For sort of a longer running scandal with the Red Sox, and so it's just really disheartening. Uh, you know, I I love baseball; it's it's my favorite sport to watch, and and I love the Sox, and it and it and it makes me sad, especially for you know kids who are watching and looking for role models. And there are a lot of great role models in professional sports, um, but uh, you know when this kind of thing happens, it. Uh, it's just pretty upsetting, and uh, and I don't like to see it happen in my favorite sport. Well, and it's really spreading throughout. I mean, and it shows just how interconnected, like mm -hmm. the these networks are, right? For pro pro the professional sports, like yeah. that they really people spread out, and so then when you're trying to crack down or punish, you're really like it's widespread. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's hard. You know, I I also have grown up a Patriots fan, which uh, you know we've had our share of uh, at least. Accusations about about <laughs> cheating, uh, and so it would it would be nice to you know especially in these sort of wild political times people often look to sports for um, you know time off from 
uh, some of the corruption and scandal. And now we can't even have that. So that's my jeer. Yeah, one of my you know, baseball has been interesting, you know, looking back to the ster- steroids yeah. and like the congressional hearings oh, yeah. and all of that mess. Um, I guess that was about two decades ago or so. But yeah, it feels it, like it was just yesterday. I know, but it, it really does seem to kind of yeah. struggle with these, yeah. these things. Uh, what about you, Jackie? You got anything, you, any, anybody, anything you want to jeer? Yeah, well, so we've... Um, had one of the Idaho state representatives, um, John Green, was convicted in a Texas court, um, I guess this earlier this week, um, um, for on federal fraud charges, trying to avoid income taxes with like this kind of money laundering involving gold coins. And um, so that's kind of been going on. And there are some questions about his his status in the Idaho legislature um, since post his conviction. The Idaho attorney general today sent over a letter saying that he was in violation. He no longer qualified to hold office. And so then um, the House Republican caucus held a meeting today for a few hours. And then eventually we did get to a House vote that expelled. Um, the representative so um, but that we had to spend time on this during a short legislative session as it is is always kind of frustrating to see yeah I mean and it's you know this is a this is a thing in state po- not that there's not that there's no corruption in uh, federal politics we <laughs> could have a whole set of episodes on that uh, but you know I, I grew up in Rhode Island which is a state that was rife with you know corruption and other kinds of uh, you know state legislators and governors and mayors going to jail all the time and uh, it's disheartening, and it's and it's uh, again. I, I sort of made the same point with baseball, but you know, people who are looking into this is the kind of thing that like dissuades people from going into politics mm-hmm. because they think it's just like a racket, right. and it's hard to it's hard to convince people otherwise when they see you know their their state legislators or, or people who are supposed to represent them, you know getting carted off to jail. So. I, I do commend the Idaho legislature for yeah. dealing with this, and hopefully they can now just move on Absolutely. Um, and focus on other, you know, there's a lot of pressing issues in front of the legislature this, this session, so hopefully they can move their attention elsewhere now. Yes, yes, let's hope. Well, we've got about two minutes left, so we're going to switch to beers. Yes. <laughs> and so um, anything lately that you want to kind of celebrate? You know, uh, uh, Jen actually stole my thunder last, un- un- unknowingly, so we won't blame Jen, but uh, <laughs> her her beers was uh, a, a food she'd been eating recently, the Impossible Burger, which is uh, one of my very favorite uh, uh, plant-based meats. Uh, so I can't use that, but what I will endorse are... Uh, Trader Joe's uh, fake chicken chicken nuggets surprisingly good and take me right <laughs> back to uh, to being you know seven years old and my mom making me chicken nuggets for dinner as a treat it's, uh, chicken nuggets are pretty great they're so. tough they're tough to beat so so if you're a vegetarian or just trying to eat a little less meat uh, just know that Trader Joe's has truly amazing veggie chicken nuggets that taste exactly like the real thing, in my opinion. Well, I'm glad you now have that in your life, Charlie. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So I got to spend some time last week in um, San Juan, Puerto Rico for a conference, and it was just a fantastic place to be. The conference was really great, but as well, I really enjoyed um, the food and the drinks, and I, you know, enjoyed a few pina coladas on the beach, which which was pretty amazing. (laughs) Um, So that was, you know, very, it's not a usual um, experience. Well, we were back here suffering in the no, Jackie. I know. You were... I know. Uh, it's you know there are times that being an academic has its benefits, That's and that true. was definitely one of them. Well, cheers to that.